Hey everybody, Larry Roberts here, and I wanted to see if I could get you to do me a favor. If you're listening to the show and you enjoy what you hear, head over to iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts and subscribe to the show. This guarantees that you get the latest and the greatest content from the Readily Random Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking to you very soon. And now it's time for another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. I hope you didn't hear that, but I hit my mic while dancing. You may think that I'm an amateur at this, but, you know, we've been here once or twice. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a pro, but I shouldn't hit the mic. I mean, come on. I'm sitting here at PodMax with guest number two this morning, and I'm trying to look as pro as possible, but I think my guest is already losing confidence. I see him looking away. I think he's petting the dog. I don't know what he's doing, but anyhow, no, my guest today for our second interview of this spectacular PodMax event is Matt Uretsky, and Matt is an attorney, a business attorney to be exact. And he helps people from startup all the way to the finalization and exit strategies and everything of their business. So what we're going to do is we're going to sit back, have a little conversation with him, find out more what he's all about and what maybe some of his future plans are and how he can help each and every one of us in our business endeavors. So with no further ado, good to be here, Matt, welcome to the show, man. I'm so glad that you and I got connected. There's definitely some things that I could learn from talking to someone like you, because when it comes to the legalities of business, and I don't mean, you know, breaking the law, at least not intentionally, but what I mean is maybe for the entrepreneur out there that's has minimal experience setting up a business and maintaining that business. And what are some of the bases maybe he, he or she needs to cover throughout the life cycle of that business? I think there's a lot of us out there that are kind of flying by the seat of our pants. So is that something that you can help folks with? And, you know, it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know. I would not expect myself to to know anything about podcasting. I wouldn't expect you to know anything about what I'm doing. I, you know, I I don't know anything (laughs) about, I mean, I know a little bit uh, enough to be dangerous, but not any more than that of the software and tech development that our clients are doing. The point is, it's important to talk to people who do know what they're doing in all walks. And that's what I'm doing coming at it from the legal side. So, so what does that mean? I mean, founders come to us and they say, hey, you know, they have that open mind and say, oh, well, what do I need to know? So, you know, we'll talk about all the good stuff that you might have heard elsewhere, you know, choice of legal entity, where to set it up how to get uh, equity in the hands of the founders, how to align incentives, how to position the company to raise money from outside sources, how to build out your team, yada, 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 all that good stuff. So do you focus more on tech companies or is it for anybody? We say that we work with tech and tech-enabled companies. Basically, that means anything. I, we're lawyers. We could argue anything. I could argue that the lemonade stand that our toddler makes outside is tech enabled because she printed out a label, you know? So that is sort of a cheeky way of saying we work with anyone. Most of our clients, yeah, are either somewhat tech 
heavy or pretty tech heavy. And the majority or the vast majority of the value of their venture is tied up in their, in their IP. But that's not always the case. You know, I thinking about my metaphorical desk, you know, of course I'm in our living room right now and I have an online farmer's market that I'm working with. You know, that's not like true tech. We have a company manufacturing right. blue light glasses because of glare. That's not really tech. But then we have, you know, tech platforms that match clinical trials and clinical per- trial participants. So that is more tech, I guess. You know, it, it seems to me, it, at least it would make me more inclined to stay on top of the latest and greatest legal anomalies that are out there when dealing with tech companies because they are so IP heavy. You've got data that you have to protect. You have uh, non-competes that are in effect. You have non-disclosure agreements that are in effect. It seems to me that there would be a lot of bases that need to be covered. Now, do you provide that level of guidance for new startups and going, hey, you want to look at this, you want to look at this, you want to look at that? I mean, I I like the educational side of things. And a lot of what I do is educational. You know, most of the companies that we work Mm -hmm. with, at least when we start working with them, if ever, don't have a, a formal GC or like a legal department. They outsource their legal work to us. And we are an outside GC, I would say, slash advisor from the earliest stage. And it's far more rewarding for me to be able to, you know, sit down with the founders and say, okay, look, if you guys are hoping for that sort of hockey stick trajectory that, you know, you see in the startup world where take your pre-seed investment and then a seed round and a series A and our valuations are increasing and all that good stuff, then... I can tell you based on my experience, and we have a lot of experience, this is how you should form your company. These are the ways that you align incentives among the founders. These are the various levers we can push as we you know, build out our team by issuing equity incentives and as we position ourselves for all that good stuff down the road. So, so yeah, a lot of what we do is sort of explaining to clients what it is they might not know and really shouldn't be expected to know because that's our job. So what what are some of the questions that a potential startup should ask when meeting with a a general counsel or a GC, as you had mentioned earlier, right out of the gate? What what is something they should just really focus in on and and learn more about? Anyone that is looking to take the plunge and really start the startup journey in earnest, make sure that whoever you're talking to on the legal side does this work? There is orders of magnitude of difference between fortune, whatever company, legal work, you know, your traditional big corporate work and work for startups and then work from the guy in small town America with a shingle out on Main Street. There are very different approaches and the startup and VC approach. Now, look, all of us, we think of ourselves as innovators and, you know, malleable and hip to all the trends. But a little secret is that the VC world, when it comes to actually putting their money in these companies, they're really freaking conservative and, you know, resistant to change. So it's great to be maximally creative in everything else that you do other than the legal stuff that nobody's going to want to see creativity, you know? So I strongly encourage people 
to talk to, look, whether it's me or someone else, talk to someone who knows what they're doing. They should be able to provide you, look, in sure. what I do, it's not dissimilar to like VC investing because we work with a ton of early stage companies, most of whom unfortunately don't make it. So, you know, I've put in a lot of time on the front end for maybe no payoff in the back end, like a VC firm. So I say that because anyone, any, any lawyer that a startup talks to, they should have scores of potential references. I could give you hundreds of names of companies that we've worked with and folks shouldn't be shy. You know, I'm proud of my work product. So I hope that others would be as well. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting because and two, even as a, as a startup, and if you're really new in the entrepreneurial space, you, you're already scrounging, you're already looking for these answers. And, you know, you're really not sure where to get. And you may even be a little nervous to hire counsel. What are some things that folks could look for to help put them at ease when choosing someone to guide them on their legal journey sure. throughout so the foundation it's a of good their question. business. I mean, first and foremost, I would just bang on experience. Like this is a, this is a niche and you should know that the people you're working with live in this niche. We do. And, and look, it's probably worth, put a bookmark there. I'm open. Any one of your listeners, they should feel free to reach out. Like I'm happy to talk shop with anyone, you know, Someone says, hey, I, I talked to some lawyer. I, he's has a lower hourly rate. He's telling me all this stuff. Does this sound kosher to you? I'm happy to talk to any one of your listeners like that. So like, all right, back to it. Experience, number one, folks should have the experience doing this. There aren't that many firms that are doing it. So it's not that easy to get that experience. You know, I hate to bring us down to the dismal science, but we're, we have honestly what I think is a unique value prop for clients. One that I, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word unique. People overuse it. Something either is or is not unique. It is a binary. And I truly think that our approach is unique. We compete with all the big firms that have offices in Dallas and Palo Alto and wherever. And my analog over there is billing out at 1200 bucks an hour. We at McCarter, we cut out a lot of that BS that gets passed along to clients and pass the savings to, to our clients. It's that simple. You know, we're, we operate our practice over here kind of on that lean startup model, like a lot of your listeners, I'm sure. Uh, so that means that our lawyer to secretary ratio over here is way higher than at, I think that's the right way, way higher. We have far fewer admin professionals than, you know, you might see in some ivory tower on Park Avenue our art, we got it at Pier 1. Like, oh, so, man. There's no way you can know the law of there, there, your there, there, there's, no way. there's no way. So, all of that is to say <laughs> that, you know, our rates are, they're not low in a vacuum. We know we're in, the, we're in the New York region. We compensate all of our people at market levels, but compared to the, the big law firms out there, it is a absolute steal. And that's sort of the niche that we're filling. And I think that we're doing it in a way that is, you know, more approachable, less of that ivory tower. That's sort of what I'm playing against, what we're playing against. You know, something that's really important to me, I do a lot of work with the Women's Center for Entrepreneurship. It's up in North Jersey. We're trying to like empower the unempowered, basically. And 
McCarter in English. I encourage folks that are interested. We believe we may have won the pro bono firm of the year last year throughout the country. Like we're doing, we're at the cutting edge of a lot of this stuff. I'm only a, a tiny part of it, but what I'm doing, you know, I'm, re, I'm trying to women, minority led businesses, make them feel like we're as approachable as I like to think that we are. And for probably white men, they think that we are. So that's a lot of, of sort of where we're coming. And so, so look, I, I, to answer your question then, experience, passion, value prop, and uh, I don't know, but maybe there was another one embedded in there. Uh, it sounds like there were several others that were embedded in there. So that's really, really cool to hear you taking that approach, especially from the pro bono perspective. I found that to be extremely interesting that you would be doing pro bono type work in this environment. And, you know, I can see now once you started mentioning uh, some of the folks that you work with in order to provide that pro bono work, I can see where that would be a really rewarding endeavor. And uh, I commend you for that. I think that is great. So thank you for the work that you're doing there. And I know that it's making an impact in your community and other communities around the country, I assume. Are you, do you take clients from other no, areas it's, it's, or are you it's only a, it's in a good Jersey? Question. A lot of people either have misconceptions or no conceptions of sort of where people are able to practice as transactional attorneys. Right. We have clients all over the place. Probably the plurality of my clients are based in the city, in, in New York City. But off the top of my head, I have clients in Israel, the UK, you know, Connecticut, Mass, Pennsylvania, Florida, Texas, California, Illinois, so uh, Kentucky. So we're, we're all over the place. And it's one of the things, honestly, that is sort of proof in the, I guess it's the pudding that the proof is in that our approach at McCarter works because, you know, we slot in on these, uh, rank, these pitch book rankings. It's all this insider, you know, nonsense that your readers, I'm sure, don't need to look, or your listeners don't need to look into. But essentially, we do the same number of deals, same dollar value of deals, deals in this region, that region, all over the place as these big firms with a fraction of the geographical footprint a fraction of the number of people and like, honestly, more of like a human touch and less of a sort of factory approach to it. No. And that's cool because it's so hard to find that human touch, especially from a legal representation perspective. Law is so black and white per se that having a human aspect to it is, is something that's just rare. I mean, I know when I form my business and I form my LLC, the attorney, she, I, I might've met her for 10 minutes. You know, I, I worked with her, with her uh, executive assistant there for the vast majority of the time, getting all the details lined out. And then the day that we actually signed the, 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 the legal documents for the LLC is the first time that I met her and it was in and out and see you later. Bye. And it's so ironic. I just drove by her spot the other day and she's gone. She's not even, she's not even in the office anymore. I'm like, well, what if I have questions? Look, I don't you, and, and, and that's sort of like, that's the flip side, which is, you know, that I don't see or hear all that often, but I assume must be out there and that we're kind of like positioning ourselves against, you know, I said before, like, I, I want, I want you company, entrepreneur, investor, whomever to think of us as like outside counsel and not, and, and, and look like, you know, all the economics aside, like if a client calls me 
and we talk about something for, you know, five, 10 minutes, like that's not where we, we don't make our money nickel and diamond clients throughout a company life cycle. The relationship, the value in the relationship for us is the relationship over time. So, you know, through, I, oh, and I guess, so the, one of the last pillars that I would have answered for what to look for in an attorney is someone you can trust. Um, and that's someone, someone that's like a, right. a valuable sounding board. And that is like willing to say to you, you know what? I, I don't, I'm not the person that has that answer. I can try to find someone that will, I'll connect you to someone that I know that might, but that's not me. Uh, so, you know, having that sense of trust and like a true relationship with an attorney, that's something that, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to have that with a lot of founders because when we first met, it was him and me or the two of them and me. So I'm lucky to feel that with a lot of clients. You know, I think that's great because so many aspects of a long-term business venture is based on relationships. And to hear an attorney want to establish long-term relationships with their clients, I think that's a tremendous value right there because that's one of the things that I love about podcasting as much is I create these relationships. I meet new people like yourself, like GoRev that I met the last hour. And, and I can establish relationships with each and every one of you. And going forward, sure. I have this tremendous resource pool that is phenomenal. And it's the same thing with any other aspect of your business, but we very rarely consider it an aspect of the legal process. And it's tremendous and it's refreshing to hear that approach. That you take I, you know, in your day-to-day -day business. That, it, because it kind of ties in with your question about where are our clients. You know, even with all of this nonsense that we're dealing with right now, I still feel like I'm as close as ever with our clients because undoubtedly the older clients or the clients that are more reliant upon or used to physical interaction, there's been a little bit of a whatever learning process or whatever you want to call it. For most people, something like this to me is as intimate and as sort of a sustaining for a relationship as a phone call would have been when I'm sitting in my office anyway. So, you know, I feel like nothing is lost. And the fact that we're able to have an engaging conversation while you're sitting, uh, presumably in your parents' basement in Dallas. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm a podcaster. Yeah, I mean that's what I do. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, is is like a beautiful thing about what we do. So you know, we're we're kicking on all cylinders over here. No, and that's really cool. And, and you know, I have to agree with you a hundred percent. It's funny because I see so many comments these days, especially over the last, I'll say, two months, that they started popping up, going, "Man, I know you have Zoom fatigue, but we're gonna do this. I know you have Zoom fatigue. I know you have virtual muting fatigue. I don't have that." I don't experience that because I share the same feeling that you share there in that what you and I are doing right now to me is the new phone call. Sure. It works as, I mean, I'm sitting here drinking my monster. I, I think I saw you take a sip of a tasty beverage. You've got your best good pal sitting there on the podcast with us. What do you, what do you have there, by the way? It looked like a, a giant poodle or. He's, he's an Italian Spinoni. Look it up. They're the best. Uh, <laughs> I was going to. I would have never guessed that Spicoli. I don't know. That's just not something I would have guessed. You know, we're sitting here, we're just hanging out and we're having a great conversation and we're establishing this connection that we wouldn't have. I don't think just on the phone, 
I don't even like the phone. People are like, hey, man, can we schedule some time to talk? I'm like, yeah, let me send you a Zoom link. And, and they're like, what? No, I was just going to call. Look, like, <laughs> I, I, too, have Zoom fatigue when it's BS, you know? Right, right. If we were going to have some conference call at which we were going to discuss nothing, and now it turns into a Zoom during which we discuss nothing, sure, nobody wants to do that. But right. the type of stuff that, the type of interaction that I'm having with clients, like, okay, I have a term sheet from this investor. Like, can we talk through this right now? I mean, there is no difference for me working from my kitchen table or here next to Ernie or wherever and walking through it over Zoom, over phone call. Like, you know, we, we can do this from everywhere, do it from everywhere, with people from everywhere. And the people in our group over here, and I think, honestly, people of our generation, like we're primed for this, you know? Right. It's something that we've watched evolve over the years and you know, we've adapted to it as well. Something that you said earlier that kind of caught my attention when we were talking about where your clients are, you mentioned you have some clients in Israel and, and other locations overseas. Internationally, I would not have expected that in your answer. So how do you practice law in a foreign country how do you keep up with that? And you keep mentioning, and this is where my ignorance comes into play here, you keep mentioning as a transactional attorney. Help me understand what that means and how that allows you to practice in such distant regions. Sure. So transactional litigation. Litigation means you are going into court. My wife is a family lawyer. She's a litigator. She's dangerous. <laughs> and uh, she's either in court or preparing papers for submission to court and arguing before judges and all that. Transactional, we're helping get stuff done in so many words. What that stuff is could be anything. So, you know, think of a uh, real estate lawyer, someone who represents a landlord. That's a transactional attorney. They're a transactional real estate lawyer. You know, I work with folks who do, who sort of specialize in tech commercialization. So a startup that we work with, you know, that I've helped like fund, fundraise and do all that good stuff, they're you know, exclusively licensing their tech to AWS. What's that agreement going to look like? That's transactional in nature. That's sort of corporate and intellectual property. So I'm corporate transactional. They're corporate litigators. So let's say your LLC, it's you, you and two other podcast founders, you have sort of your podcast empire. And there's a dispute amongst the three of you. And it ultimately goes to court or is threatened to go to court. That's the litigation side of things. The governance of your entity. And if you raise any money in it or contract through it, you know, if you have a contract with iPodcasts or whatever it's called. You know, that's the type of transactional type stuff I would do. Now, where can we do it? Litigators are much more limited in where they can practice than transactional attorneys. It's important to note, I'm not practicing law in Scotland. I'm not practicing law in Israel, in Australia. I'm representing those companies as they seek to do something related to the U.S. So, for instance, I'm sure you're well aware, Tel Aviv is what a hotbed for tech. I work with scores of clients from 
like either who are in that area now or came from that area over to the U.S. to tap into capital markets, customer markets, grow the business, do any number of things that presence in the U.S. allows them to do or gives affords them the opportunity to do. So, okay, you know about your podcasting LLC. Well, imagine that analogous company in in Israel set up their limited company, excuse me, and they took in $500,000 of seed money and they sold some equity to their investors. And now they want to establish operations in the US. They want to they want to hire some talent over here. They want to procure customers over here, build plants, all that good stuff. They're probably going to need to set up a US branch. And then you have to think about, oh, well, what happens to the people who invested in the Israeli entity? How do we make them, how do, they, how do we give them the benefit of their bargain if we set up another U.S. entity? I can nerd out as long as, to the extent that you want, but it's considerations like that that I'm thinking about when dealing with entities that, that are coming from abroad. That's great that you clarified that because I, I, did, I don't understand any of it, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, I barely understand what my LLC is for. I'm not quite that stupid, but I'm pretty close. So I have to ask this, and I was going to save it for the end, but we're, we're getting close, I think, as, as we, we get together here. Uh, with your wife being a, an attorney as well, and obviously she's a litigator, when you guys have your disagreements, do you ever sarcastically call her counselor? It's a good question. I have found, I have found, you may be domestically coupled, you may have a wife, a husband, whatever, you probably have also found in some analogous relationship that sarcasm just doesn't. <laughs> it's just like fuel. It is like dumping lighter fluid on the conflagration. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's funny. I, we actually talk so little about all the nonsense that she's dealing with day to day. And like in the back of my head, the only way that it implicates my life is... I just want her to see me. Uh, we have a three-year-old daughter. And so long as she sees that I'm like the best dad, you know, to like make it corny, that I'm like the best dad I can be, that to me seems like it should be enough to keep me in her good graces. You know? Not bad. Not bad at all. I just know that I'm not that big a man. I mean, physically, yes, I'm large, but I'm not that big a man where I could, I would have to do, I would use that all the time until she goes, look. If you say it again, we're, we're done. Don't because <laughs> I would love it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like she wins arguments on their merits, you know, <laughs> like, like most of the time you hear that, that dichotomy and it's like, you know, the logical guy and the emotional female. Well, she's the logical and emotional female. So she's like winning the arguments on their merits. Yeah. And then also just like winning because like we have to lose, you know? Right, 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 right. That's, be that's between you and I. We won't, we won't, we won't expand on that. So what are your plans for the future as far as your practice goes? And what are you looking to achieve? What are some of your short-term goals with what you're doing? Sure. Uh, I appreciate you asking. So uh, I've been a partner here at McCarter for a year and a half, couple of years now. I'm looking to grow the heck out of this practice, increase McCarter visibility. Like I, I truly think that we are providing a service that is of great value to the startup community. I like to think, and I know that we have tons of company and investor side resources that will speak to that. 
And I just want to let everyone know because you know, we're seeing sort of a stratification in not just legal service delivery, but like service delivery of any kind between the price in elastic consumers at the top who just want the brand name. They'll pay $2,000 an hour for my analog over there. They don't care. Everyone else, it's a race to the bottom in terms of price. And I think that we over at McCarter, I know I and my practice strive to strike that balance like as best it can be struck. And that's what we're doing over here. And I just want to spread the word. Wow. That's amazing. And it's great to hear somebody like yourself that's as fired up about what you're doing as you are. You know, it's, it's obviously folks that are starting something new generally have that kind of fire, but to maintain that over an extended period of time shows that you have a true passion for what you're doing and a true desire to continue to grow and help others along their way as well. That's exactly what you were saying before, that every time you have a new guest, it's a new relationship. You know, like I said, I'm working with dozens of clients at one time. So it's not like I'm working for big ass, big pharma company reviewing NDA one, NDA two, NDA three. We're working on like bet the company stuff for a bunch of different clients at any one time. So like last Friday, right before the holiday, we closed a $5 million seed financing for one of our clients. I mean, that's a small deal in the, you know, in the deals that get reported and just generally in the grand scheme of things. But for our client, it was really freaking important. So, you know, multiply that across all the clients that we're working for. And yeah, you know, like we have that sort of like constant refreshment and like interesting people that we're working with, you know, like who are the people that found these companies and like actually go for it? They're interesting people. Yeah. Each one has their own unique story. And I think that allows you or at least someone with your passion to get involved in that story and become a part of that story and help them write the extended version of their story. And to have something like that, to look forward to each and every day, to put my energy into each and every day is something that I could definitely get behind. And it's it's very similar in my regard to podcasting is meeting folks like you that have that passion and that drive and that desire. And you can emotionally, and I guess maybe that might be a question right there. You can emotionally get attached to some of these clients and like I can get emotionally attached to some of my guests. Have you ever found yourself getting emotionally vested in someone and go, wow, this was a mistake. And I, I you know, I mean, as far as, a business starting up and for some reason the business fails and now maybe you carry some of that baggage with you. How do you deal with that? And have you ever experienced anything like that? Yeah. So look, I mean, an unfortunate reality, I mean, I guess it depends on one's perspective, but a reality of, I guess, just capitalism is that most of these companies, they're going to fail. It is always painful to get that email. I have one in my inbox right now that says, you know, unfortunately, we're going we're gonna to have to close down the business. Like, what do we have to do? You know, I, I, I would say that it affects me more when the company and the founder were, you know, one, if they were more passionate, someone that, you know, just a more magnetic personality that you invariably get behind, but also if they were doing something more worthwhile. Like, for, for instance, I have a client that is someone I always talk about, you know, something that is... I, I think her, her mission is most important. She is essentially, uh, the, the name of the company is Victim's Voice. 
And she's looking to do exactly that, to provide victims of adverse effects like domestic assault and things like that, like workplace incidents, a secure and admissible in court in the future way to record these adverse events, like as they happen. And, you know, she's been pounding the pavement for years on this. I, I first met her at a, like a holiday event back in probably 2016. And she told me, she's like, I have this idea, uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to talk to you when I'm ready. And she did. We've helped the company form and raise some money and contract with third parties and, you know, inquire about some acquisitive, some, some acquisition activity. A company like that, that I've really, you know, got behind, I really like truly feel inspired by her mission. That's the type of one that if a company like that fails, and again, what is the definition of failure? I don't know. Those hurt a little bit more. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, man, we are getting flashed here. We're down to probably about three, maybe two minutes left in our session. So before we get cut off here, tell us where can folks find out more about you? Where can they find your contact information and, uh, and reach out to you? Sure. Thanks. Go to Mick, well, Google Mick Carter and English. So that's easy. It's a Scottish name, Mick Carter and English. That's what we're speaking. I'm the only person at the firm whose last name starts with a U. That's me, Uretsky. I, I've probably said this three times by now. Literally do reach out, send me an email, give me a phone call. The educational aspect, the sort of trends in the marketplace perspective, like that's what I'm doing this for. Folks, honestly, should feel free to reach out. That's, I guess, my metaphorical where am I? Literally, I'm here in Princeton area, Princeton, New Jersey. I'm out at the dog park around the corner a lot, out at the golf course from time to time. So, yeah, I honestly, reach out, work, personal. I hope, if nothing else, folks realize that I'm an approachable guy and I'm looking, you know, much like you say, who knows where any of those relationships might go. Very cool. You know, and I think if there's one thing that comes across, in this discussion is the fact that you are very approachable. So, Matt, I want to thank you so very much. Thank Ernie for joining us as well. I caught just a glimpse, but that was enough to know that he's a pretty pup. And uh, I really appreciate all your time, man. Thank you so much, Larry. This is great.